Welcome back to The Word Encounter, and this is episode 180. We are in the book of Matthew, the first book of the Gospels, and so there's a lot of meat to cover. Jesus is really putting out his word, and so let's just get right into this in chapter 6. And the section title says, How to Give. How to give? Don't you just give? No. Giving has to be done uh, with the right prescription. See, uh, giving has to be done with the right attitude, with the right heart, with the right motivation, or else you might as well just keep whatever it is you're giving, you know? And so Jesus kind of goes into detail here. And so we see here on, in, um, in verse one, it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness, your righteous giving, to, uh, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father in heaven. Jesus is saying, look, when you give, when, you pra- when you're practicing your righteousness, don't do it in front of other people so that you can gain glory, so that you can gain notoriety, so that you can gain fame. We see a lot of people doing giving on, on the news. Uh, things get recorded. Oh, oh, isn't he such a great guy? Isn't he? Oh, he's tremendous. He's so selfless. This and other. Jesus is saying, don't do that. You know, <laughs> It says, or else you'll have no reward with your father in heaven. You'll, you'll get no credit. You'll get nothing for it except what man gives you. It says in verse two, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to do this, if you're going to give publicly so that everybody can see you, can give you a claim and whatnot, then whatever you get from them, that's all you're going to get. You're not going to get anything else as far as treasures in heaven are concerned. And so it says in verse three, but when you give to the poor, notice it says when, not if, It says, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, imagine what would happen to our giving. If people knew that whatever it is that they were given could not be known by other people, if that was a condition. Whatever you give will stay, will stay a secret just between you and your God. Nobody else is going to know about this. How many people would still give? So we have to examine our heart when we're giving. It says how to pray. In verse 5, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. <laughs> Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. He says, you know, we all know people that get up there and want to give these flowery prayers and so eloquent in the wording and the prose and, 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 and just want, they're doing that for the sake of others who are watching them. They're not doing that in order to make their pleas before the Lord. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you do this, if this is your motivation, then whatever you get from people in a way of praise and glory and whatnot, that is all you're going to get. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so if you want effective prayers, it says go into your prayer closet. Pray in secret. 
then your father will hear you because he knows you're not doing it to be seen and rewarded by man. He knows that you're making an earnest plea to him. It says in verse 7, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, <laughs> since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. And so the Lord is saying, look, when you come before me, I already know what you need. No need to go on and babble and babble and babble, you know. It says, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. <laughs> he says, you know, come to me, but just be direct. Don't use all of these words and terms and babble and babble. Just talk to me. The Lord's Prayer, verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven... Your name be honored as holy. Now, remember, this is the Christian Standard Bible, and so the Lord's Prayer is basically the same thing in other versions, but the words are different. It says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is critical. This is absolutely critical that we cannot, we cannot expect for our misgivings and our sin and our missteps to be forgiven by the Lord if we don't forgive others who do those things against us. So what the Lord is looking for is he's looking for us to behave in the same manner that he behaves towards us. He extends us grace and mercy. We are to extend grace and mercy to others. If we don't extend grace and mercy to others, then we can't expect to be extended grace and mercy by our Father in heaven. It says, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, in verse 14, it goes on to expand on the debtor part. It says, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. And so do you want your offenses forgiven or not? If you do, then you must. This is, there, there's no choice here. You must extend grace, mercy, and understanding to other people. There's no other choice. If you don't do that, then you won't get extended those things either. And we don't want to. You don't want to, and I don't want to be judged, be judged by God's absolute standard because we will always fail. Always. <clears throat> It says how to fast. <clears throat> Verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they dis, uh, disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Now we're seeing a trend here, right? And so what the Lord, what does the Lord hate? We know, we know, we know, we know from the Old Testament, the Lord hates pride. He hates it. He detests it. He absolutely abhors it. And all of these things are related to pride. So he says, you know, don't do these things in public. So he said, when you fast, don't disfigure your face and like, oh, God, I'm so hungry. Oh, but I'm, I'm suffering for, for the Lord. He just, oh, I'm so, I'm so righteous because I'm suffering for the Lord. <laughs> he says, so that your fasting is obvious to people. Don't do it. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. In other words, if you do that, then when people look at your disfigured face and how much you're suffering and they, they credit you righteousness, that's going to be your reward. You're not going to get anything else from the Lord. It says, God in possessions. It says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what does it mean to store up for yourselves treasure in, treasures in heaven? I think we, it's, it's pretty obvious what verse 19 means. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, you know, where it's temporal, where rust will destroy it, people might steal it. You know, I, I think we understand what that means. But what does it mean to store things your treasures in heaven. I think part of that means tithing, you know, but I don't think it's limited to that. And I think it, it also means, or it also could mean, uh, store up uh, your obedience to the Lord, your works, your righteous works for God, you know, as, as, as we perform our righteous works with right motivation, with the right heart. I believe that is storing up things in heaven, things that won't be destroyed by rust, won't be stolen by thieves. And I don't think it's probably limited to that either. Beyond that, I'm not sure what it means. But I think uh, one of the, the main issues here is watch out with regard to where your priorities are. Because it says, for where your treasure is, there uh, your heart will also be. So wherever you consider your treasure, that's where your heart is. If it's in your bank account, your heart, or your house, you know, your vehicles, whatever, that's where your heart is. Be careful about that. Verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, since uh, either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, a lot of times people, you know, they say money is the root of all evil and this and that. No, no, no. It says the love of money. And so money is neither good or bad, right? Money is benign. It, it just is. How you approach and think about money, that's where the issue is. It says you cannot serve both God and money. And some translations say both God and mammon. So you, you can't do both. And so you can't be a slave to money because that will be your God. And if you are <clears throat> a servant of God, a true servant of God, you won't be a slave to money. See, so it's one or the other. Then the word says, a cure for anxiety. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear or what, we, or, excuse me, or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Huh. It says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. In other words, it's <laughs> The birds in the sky, they don't, they, they don't concern themselves with this stuff, yet they get fed. And it says, aren't you worth more than they? This is Jesus talking. He says, aren't you more, worth more than the birds in the sky? And they get fed. Our Father in heaven makes sure that they get fed. Aren't you or don't you know that he's going to make sure that you get fed? Don't you know that he's going to make sure that you get clothed? Don't you know that he's going to make sure that you get housed? Verse 27, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? You see, I, I forget where it is. We'll get to it eventually. But worrying is actually listed as a sin. Why? Because if you worry, that means you don't have faith in the Lord who knows what you need. That means that you are thinking that everything that I need, I have to provide. Now, notice I'm saying need, not want, but need. And I'm not talking about being lazy. See, I'm talking about worrying and anxiety. 
So the word is saying that's not going to add one day to your life. And just like the birds in the sky, your father in heaven knows what you need. He's going to go on to say that. Verse 31. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For the unbelievers eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. See, he knows what you need. Again, not what you want. He knows what you need. It says in verse 33, uh, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You cannot leave that part out. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the things that you need to live life will be provided for you. That's not an excuse to not work and be lazy, by the way. That means that you will make sure you have the right heart, that there will be a job or a business for you to execute so that you can afford the things that you need. Some people just sit back, they use this as an excuse. Well, I believe in God, he's going to provide, and they sit on their hands thinking things are going to miraculously uh, drop from the sky. No. It says in verse 34, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It doesn't need you to add your worrying to the trouble of that day. Now, this every time I read this, this hits me right here because I'm a worrier. I worry about things. And when I'm worrying, I know that I'm in sin. I know it. And I try everything in me to pull myself out of that place. And so I go to war against worrying within my own self. It's a stronghold within me, and I'm trying to break that. Just being honest. Let's go on to chapter 7. Chapter 7 says, do not judge. Do not judge um, so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Again, it's that grace and mercy thing. See, we expect other people to do things, and when they don't do it, we judge them, but we don't even do it. Sometimes we judge other people uh, by how their, their children behave. Sometimes we judge other people uh, by what they have that we think that they shouldn't have if they were truly not of the world and they wouldn't have this stuff. You know? And so, so we, we, we make these judgments against people. And the Lord is saying, <laughs> don't do that, because I'll use the same measure against you, and you don't want that. There, there, there may be some confusion about this. I know there was in me for a little bit because later on in, uh, was it 1 Corinthians or Romans? I can't remember. Where Paul is saying, you know, do you not know that we will judge angels? Well, this is saying don't judge. And Paul is saying, but we're going to judge angels. But what Paul, again, we have to read the word in context. So what Paul is talking about then, and we'll get to it, is that uh, if two believers are in a dispute, he's essentially telling them, don't go to court. You know, we can, you can solve this within yourself. Why are you going to a Gentile court to solve things between two believers? See? He says, no, you have the capacity to, to render a righteous judgment in this dispute, is what he's saying. You know, don't you know that we'll judge angels? If we can judge angels, we can judge this, this situation. See, this is talking about disputable matters. 
Again, Paul talks about disputable matters as far as the kingdom is concerned, because the Bible is silent or gray about many things that people assume that it says. And so like like food, like drink, like like other things. And so these are disputable matters. And so uh, Paul is talking about, I believe, or Jesus is talking about, I believe here, you know, don't judge other people for matters that are disputable. You don't know. And if you're going to do that, then the Lord's going to do that to you. It says, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? So we see the, we see the slight crevices and the slight cracks in other people's lives where we have huge gaping valleys in our life. And we ignore that or we accept it. Oh, that's just the way I am. But we hold that against other people who have these cracks. So that's what the Lord is saying. He says, hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. In other words, remove that big issue from your life. Then you will be eligible to see clearly with regard to what your brother is doing or not doing. But don't even think about doing that until you do what you need to do. Don't give what is holy to dogs. He switches up here. Jesus says, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or swine. Or they will trample under their feet, uh, or they will, or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. What is this referring to? This is referring to sharing your pearls of wisdom, you know, with regard to I should say sharing your pearls of righteous wisdom. This has to do with wasting time. This has to do with talking to people about the things of the Lord who have no interest in hearing it clearly let you know that they have no interest in hearing it, yet you persist in doing it. And so Jesus is saying, don't give what is holy, don't give my holy word to dogs or toss your pearls of wisdom before swine. And so this word is precious, this word is holy, and you're trying to hammer this down somebody's throat who doesn't want to hear it. He says, don't do that. He says, or else... <laughs> They will trample what you say under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Have you ever gotten to an argument with somebody who's an unbeliever about the word and they start quoting things out of context, thinking that they know what they're talking about to disprove what it is you're trying to tell them? So don't do that. They're trying to tell you to tear you to pieces because you're trying to share pearls of wisdom with them. They don't want to hear it. Don't waste your time. You know, later on, and I forget if it's in Matthew or one of the other Gospels, the Lord even says, you know, when he sends his disciples out, if they don't want to hear it, knock the dust off your shoes and leave the house and keep on going. Don't waste your time. Ask, search, and knock. Verse 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Who among you, if his son asks for bread, for bread, will give him a stone? Or he who asks for a fish will give him a steak? You see, so it says, if you have a, a child and they ask for uh, uh, some bread, you're not going to give them a stone. If they ask for some food like fish or whatever, you're not going to give them a snake. It says, if you then who are evil... <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, the key here, in my opinion, is good gifts, because good gifts, good according to whom? 
according to us or according to God. God knows what we need. A lot of times we categorize good things as those things that we want. And things that we want aren't necessarily bad or evil. It's how we approach them. It's where we place them on our list of priorities and importance. See, and so the Father and our Father in heaven has committed to giving us good things that we need. That we need, we absolutely need. And sometimes we get disappointed with the Father because we don't get what we want because we're thinking those things are good things. But those things that we think are good things could actually be destructive to ourselves, but we don't know it at that time. We don't know that we can't handle it. And he's protecting us from ourselves. So the key here is the good things. And so the Father, you don't give a car, you don't give the car keys to a six-year-old, even though he may be begging you to drive. You don't do that. Why? Because you know he can't drive. He's not tall enough. He can't see. He's going to crash. He might get killed. See, God has the same perspective on us. He knows what we can handle and what we can't handle. And so we need to be careful with regard to how we categorize good things. Entering the kingdom, verse 13, even though, oh, excuse me, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. Enter through the narrow gate. What's the narrow gate? There's only one way to eternal life, and that is through Jesus. That's the narrow gate. We've got a bunch of people that want to include every other kind of religion and belief in there. Well, there's, there's Jesus, there's this, there's that. Let's just put them all together. There's several ways to God. Well, that's called polytheism, and we know how the Lord feels about that as we revealed in the episodes in the Old Testament. He's not down with that. <laughs> He's not down with that at all. He's not down with any idol, other God, or whatever that elevates and equate that people equate to him or supersede him. He's provided a system onto him through Jesus, and that's it. Period. End of story. No other way. And for a lot of people, they can't accept that because they want other ways. They don't want to believe in, in the God of the Bible. The, they they want to have other gods. They want to believe that there are several ways. And so they say, well, that's narrow-minded. You know what? Absolutely right. It's very narrow-minded. And that's the way God designed it. It says, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. It's difficult because, again, we have to ignore the, the cries and the invitations from culture. You see, the road is difficult because culture is constantly trying to define what is good as evil and what is evil is good. And so as a believer, we have to stay true to the course. We have to say, no, righteousness is righteousness. Good is good. Evil is evil as defined by the Lord, not as defined by culture. And so that can be difficult when culture is continuously trying to redefine things. But we have to stay the course. And that's why few find it, because people start veering off because they get attracted by culture. Verse 15, be on your, God, on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are raging wolves. In the same way, every good tree produces fruit, but a bad tree pr produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree uh, produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them, the false prophets, by their fruit. 
And so you can recognize who is really believing stuff by their lifestyle, by their fruit, by what they produce. You don't necessarily have to just listen to what comes out of their mouth. Look for other evidences and then be careful with regard to who you follow. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, not everybody that says I'm a Christian or this, that, and other is truly a sincere Christian. It says only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's the one. So in that day, what Jesus is saying, not everybody will enter the kingdom because they just gave me lip service. It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I, will, then I Jesus, will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Because you were doing this stuff in, 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 in words only. You never listened to me with regard to how you were to live, what you were to do, how you were to present and example my kingdom before man. You just gave me lip service. The two foundations, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the, uh, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You see, everyone who hears these words, and they may even say, yes, yes, Lord, I agree. But you don't act on them. Jesus is calling you a foolish man. He's calling you a fool. He says, the rain fell, the rivers rose, the, wind blew, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. It just, it just didn't collapse. It collapsed with a great crash. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at, at his teaching. Why were they astonished? Because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes, not like their rabbis rabbis, their priests, their religious people, not like the Sadducees or Pharisees. Jesus was teaching as one who had authority. He had conviction in what he was teaching, and therefore his words had the power to impart. See, we can just get information that just resides in our head, and it rings around in our head, and we think about it, analyze it, whatever. Then we have words that impart and when you have a word that imparts, it doesn't stay in your head. It goes down into your heart. And when it gets into your heart, then it affects what you do. And that's the difference. That's all the difference. That makes all the difference in the world. And with that, we'll pick it up in chapter eight tomorrow. We're only doing about two chapters a day here in, in, in Matthew. There's just, there's just so much meat. I, I just don't know how else to do this. And so uh, this is Jesus talking. And again, I'm not going to edit or filter Jesus. And so remember in Romans chapter 10, that Paul extends the invitation. And he confirms that if you believe in your heart, and that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But if you truly believe, 
And if you truly confess, that will also change your behavior, which will change your life. And so with that, we are done for the day. Everybody take care, stay safe, be blessed. We'll see you tomorrow in episode 181. Bye-bye.